Yeah, this is a seismic moment for this football club and the sound reverberating around this part of Newcastle tonight. Sounds a bit like when there's a match on and they are delirious that they have new owners with big pockets coming in. Hundreds of fans racing around the stadium. I can see at the moment in pure joy there is beer flying through the air and uh, a huge moment of celebration really because they can see that this is a new era for their football club. Despite pressure from the international community, Qatar's atrocious human rights record continues. But its financial muscle has caused many countries to look the other way. Even if you want to ignore all these problems, let's say you're just a football fan and you only care about football. Well, they're also destroying the sport as we know it too. Welcome to this Breaking Lines production in partnership with the Front Post Football Podcast. My name is Lewis Young, and during the course of this three-part exclusive series, I'll be talking to expert journalists, writers, and fans about the country or region's relationship between football and geopolitics, how it's grown, and how it continues to develop. I'll be delving into just why football has become such an important field for some of the world's most rich and powerful figures to involve themselves in. Because everyone around the world plays football because it's so popular because, um, you know, sports, sports is able to kind of reach inside the human soul and, and yank at strings that, are, that like few things can reach. But I, I think football is, is the most powerful of all the sports when it comes to this. I mean, I've, you know, rugby fans are passionate around the world and in India that, that you know, the subcontinents, uh, you know, they're obviously mad for cricket. This is Daniel Gallen. He is a sports journalist from South Africa who has written for The Guardian and for New Frame extensively about the topic of sports washing. You know, one, one of the beauties of football is that it, it can, it can uh, thrust com- difficult conversations into homes that wouldn't necessarily have it, like we've seen with, with Black Lives Matter and, and perhaps now with the conflict in Ukraine. You know, it's important for, for these wider social discussions to be had. And, you know, may, maybe in some homes people don't want to talk about racism, but then when they see footballers taking the knee that that might prompt that that a child to ask their parents some questions however um it's also a great means of distraction so when you go up to new if, if you go up to newcastle now and you see people waving the saudi flag um because they no, their club is no longer owned by mike ashley well they don't what they're doing is endorsing a government that dismembers dissidents and and and, and executes people who are critical of their of their oppressive, oppressive regime that is also um you know dropping bombs on 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 civilians in Yemen so if if they if they're playing pretty football we, we we're not necessarily focused on, on on some other aspects of what they're doing and and if it's if it's our team and that they're helping win you through through their blood money well maybe we don't even care about the atrocities that, that people are committing. So I think I think football is is powerful in, in its ability to turn heads and eyeballs towards difficult conversations, but it's maybe more powerful at turning them away from them. In one of the biggest mass executions in decades, Saudi Arabia executed 81 men on Saturday, which included seven Yemenis and one Syrian. The wealthy Gulf has one of the highest execution rates in the world. It is ranked fifth in a list compiled by the Amnesty International. What do you make of the, new, the, the takeover of your club? Are you happy? Oh, I'm absolutely buzzing. What, what do you make of uh, what people are saying about 
they shouldn't be taking over your football club and like their human rights abuses and all that. Are you bothered about that or not? Well, obviously, deep down, but at the minute, not really, because we, we needed this quite a lot. Saudi Arabia, we love you. It's Prince Bin Salman. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm Uri Levy. I'm a football uh, journalist and commentator focusing on Middle Eastern football. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of uh, Babagol, an international football website that also focuses on uh, Middle East, Africa, Asia, and the connection between uh, football and uh, politics, culture, society, geopolitics, and more. Uh, my name is Francis Gaito. I'm an independent football professional. Uh, I've worked in various fields with the Kenyan football clubs. I've worked with the Kenyan league. Um, yeah, but then now I do full-time analysis and on policy and governance in the subject I think which you're 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 you're, you're interested in right now. Cameron Wilson, uh, originally from the Fairman Scotland. I've been in Shanghai for 16 years. I'm also known as the I found an editor of World East Football, which is a website which covers Chinese football. Uh, well, I think it's a cop-out for, for, for any fan to say, well, it's it's not our place to be critical of of who our owners are or where where the money that, that's funding our football team comes from. I, I, I think fans can either say, well, I, I, I don't care. I, I've, I've been given the information and... and I'm quite comfortable that my team is funded by blood money. I'm okay with that. And I guess that's their prerogative. I mean, I think I think it's distasteful. I'm I'm not suggesting that every Newcastle fan needs to needs to jump ship as a result of who owns them. But I think I think claiming ignorance is 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 unacceptable. They need to be honest with themselves and say that the murder of of civilians at the hands of an oppressive regime is is less important, you know, a million miles away or however however many kilometers away is less important to me than finishing seventh in the Premier League or however, whatever new car, you know, or, or, or bigger, you know, aspirations. And you, you know, you can, you can look at, um, you can look at Manchester City or, or, or PSG, you know, they, they winning titles. So, so fans of their clubs could say, well, the human rights atrocities that, that our owners are committing doesn't interest me as long, as long as we win titles. That, that's, that is their prerogative. I think fans do have more power than they think. Um, we saw what happened with the uh, this, the Super League, how, how fans came out in their numbers, and effectively, I mean, there was fan power that, that squashed that movement. If, if, it, if it wasn't for people protesting and making their voices heard, um, we, we may have, I mean, I, I think at some point we will eventually get the Super League, but we, we would have had it already. That, that, that would have been uh, inked in and, and, and codified now. I think this is something that we can say that is a line that uh, goes throughout every country in the region, but I think every country worldwide. You know, football fan in many ways doesn't like when people are telling him that he's supporting something that is wrong. And then from a regular person, thinking person that says, okay, there is good and bad, there is this protective position of protective to protect the name of his club because he's fully identified with his club. His cl- this club is part of his identity since he was four years old, since he was born sometimes. His father took him to the game and the great-grandfather took him to the game and, and, and it's a tradition. So basically you are threatening this guy's identity. I think internet is a big, big and important role. You know, fully identification with a club and a brand and uh, and you know seeing it's part of your identity and your being 
until a certain level that you cannot criticize it. But uh, we forget that one of our biggest privileges in this world as, as thinking people is to criticize. You know, I can criticize myself for hours and I can criticize you and Newcastle and Chelsea and Israeli football and Jibril uh, Job from the Palestinian football. So, you know, critical thought is, is basic, is basic, you know, and if you don't have it, so for me, I think, you know, you are neglecting uh, basically part of yourself and as a human being who living in this planet. But what can we say? It's part of the characteristics of football fans, regardless the region and regardless the topic. You can't expect people to care, which I agree with. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't care. So when you mention like Newcastle, I mean, I mean, they're basically taken over by a company which is basically the Saudi government. So what does Saudi government do? They basically they murder journalists, uh, they chop off people's hands for stealing things, they put women in jail for just doing things which we regarded as completely normal anywhere else. It's a pretty toxic situation. But what happens, Newcastle fans just say, all right, well, we're going to get a lot of money. Let's, they're not thinking anything beyond that. I mean, that's understandable, but when you think about it, what happens in the end is it's like a, it's like eventually the thing you support ends up contributing to something else far away, which eventually grows into some big cancer, which will affect you in the end. So football is, just, football is very much part of that. I mean, football is the most popular sport in the world, and that's why people pay so much money, because it, anyone who buys into football, they get power and influence. You know, the chain often begins, you're in sports and then you move into politics. That's in Africa. In other places, they could be you're in politics and then you move into football because probably football has more money and uh, lesser, you know, transparency and you can operate within that veil of secrecy uh, very, very well. Say like Roman Abramovich was able to, to use his government connections to invest in a club and through that club he could... Uh, uh, execute a lot of shadowy uh, kind of like player transfers, shell companies and everything. And, you know, it, it's one of the, the, the models where uh, people now now use football from politics, from a pol- political context, and now use it, you know, for to serve a purpose, whether it's money, whether it's sport washing or everything. But in Kenya, they, they, we have not allowed, or in Africa, we have not allowed sport to grow uh, to to that level where it wants to be leveraged by even even sponsors even individuals even so everyone is just cannibalizing sport for the instant gratification. As I talk to Francis here, he tells me a little bit about Patrice Motsepe. He is the president of CAF and he is actually the owner of the Mamelodi Sundowns, who are currently top of the South African Premier League. He goes on to tell me a little bit about Patrice's background and how football in Africa can be used to leverage the development of some kind of a political career. Yeah, uh, Patrice Motsepe is uh, back, back to the same model which I was telling you. Football is low investment and high returns as regards to visibility. If you look at Patrice Motsepe, uh, how his line of my lineage, lineage of marriage, his position in the African National Congress, which is the ruling party of South Africa. Uh, you can see his proximity to the presidency. He's married to the sister of the president. Uh, you can see the business moves that he's making. Uh, you, you can clearly tell that his success is 
very uh, orchestrated and choreographed uh, to to provide him with a platform of one day probably becoming the South African president or a key player in the South African political scene. So football then provides the opportunity for him to remain, to constantly remain in people's minds because out of sight, out of mind, uh, that's, that's the... That, 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 that's the mantra in Africa. Uh, so, so, so you you need a platform, and uh, buying the football club for him was a stroke of genius, uh, because then he could uh, uh, and and you know funnel money. But if you look at the club itself, the club doesn't have its own stadium. Uh, if he was somebody who was you know committed to. To, to, to the game. The club doesn't have its own stadium or its own hotel. It's easy to manipulate success when you have some money to throw around. And I think we saw that with uh, uh, TP Mazembe. He's, always, he's a Congolese club uh, owned by a politician also called Mois Katumbi. Mois Katumbi, uh, at the time uh, when he was in, uh, in the good books of the political establishment, he had bought a, a private jet for them, he built a stadium, and he was literally like if he wanted a player, like one of the players was moving to Belgium, the, he was asking for big money, he was not playing around, and if you, you're not ready to cough the big money, he was because he was doing well. Um, and, and at the time we were saying that... Uh, he was using the club to launder proceeds of crime because he was a governor of a mineral-rich region called Katanga, and which didn't make sense because if you went to Katanga, you know the club or the region is surrounded by abject poverty. Then you have this club, which owns a private jet and uh, you know is making all these humongous transfers, and it, it you know these things don't add up. So the 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 thing here you should note is that this big, larger-than-life political figures, they come to football, they want to use it for the uh, limited uh, period or, you know, before it expires, uh, to keep themselves in position. And because of that, they're able then to court the attention of the high figures because at uh, now uh, Patrice Motsepe was able to attract the attention uh, based on his government connections not that his club is performing better i mean alahli has a better history of uh, performance when it comes to continental level not that he has done anything spectacular but because of that uh, sport washing and uh, kind of like he was able to now uh, compress everything and put himself in a position whereby now gianni infantino now says now you are the guy to to be the next calf president and they were able to buy off everyone else and uh, and and he was a sole candidate and you know so so that is the that is the model that uh, african football has been exploited perfect answer world cup qualifiers 2018 around uh, the same time that uh, uh, fight uh, while fighting with the syrian rebels uh, there were many reports published about uh, Assad using chemical weapon uh, on Syrian citizens uh, in the in the rebel strongholds. Uh, horrific photos, um, horrific, uh, I think, um, articles and and um, you know uh, how do you say horrific PR work for for Assad himself. Uh, being perpetuated as a dictator, as a cruel dictator, as a vicious dictator, as someone who kills his own people. 
it was it was a tough moment for Syria that basically you know many uh, bigger power getting involved with within the their internal issues such as the US Russia Iran Hezbollah um, and Erdogan Turkey basically it was a war of the you know a small world war taking place uh, in Syria um, but on the same time the Syrian national team started its, its journey uh, towards the World Cup in Russia the, and they you know went through the first stage and then the second stage and you know I remember I was I don't remember exactly but I opened the newspaper on the first page there is a huge uh, photo of Assad and a big article that criticizing him calling him the new Hitler and the new uh, you know uh, a muscular and all that and when you open the, the the other part of the newspaper and you read the story about the Cinderella from the Middle East a national team coming from a war-torn country from a from a civil war basically and is doing the impossible and they are only one stage away from the World Cup suddenly when you went to Google and you wrote Syria you didn't get the first thing uh, maybe okay so first thing was a, a civil war and maybe an article on Assad but right next to it you saw a fantastic emotional story of a sporting success against all odds and basically Syria had an amazing run this uh, that uh, in these qualifications they reached the, the World Cup playoffs against Australia getting eliminated only in the 120th minute in the overtime the extra time with Omar Asuma fantastic free kick right to the right to the post of uh, of Matt Ryan and it was very dramatic they managed to gain a draw in Iran in Tehran they managed to beat so many better teams on the way they managed to reunite the people of, of Syria basically you know with, back in the days I was working on the story and you know I interviewed many uh, refugees and people in Syria and uh, ex uh, people who were ex uh, rebels and went to Europe and ran for their life and they all said that no one st- stayed indifferent to the success of the Syrian national team regardless that is helping to uh, maybe fix or soften Assad's image. So basically it's, it shows how how much power a national football team has. In 2022, Qatar will host the biggest sporting event on the planet, but what we won't hear are the muffled screams of the men who died building this dream. What are the potential repercussions of Qatar hosting a World Cup? Is it as fatalistic as people say, or is it, uh, is it a good thing for the region? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, my answer won't be probably the, the, the predictable answer that uh, nowadays more and more people are seeing as a main view towards uh, the 2022 World Cup. More than 6,500 migrant workers have died in Qatar since 2010. Qatar is home to 2 million migrant workers. Its record as a host is dodgy to say the least. Employers here are running a modern day slavery ring. You know, you cannot neglect uh, the violation of human rights. You cannot uh, neglect or uh, uh, look away from suffer of others. But when we look 
on world first world cup in the middle east when we look on first world cup uh, in the arab world and when we look uh, on situations when the biggest football competition in the world is traveling and taking place in areas that are not western europe or north america we need to take and uh, remember in the back of our minds that different things will happen. And in this case, you know, um, I think that if you ask now uh, Qatari, uh, one of the, let's say, from the, from the ruling family of Qatar, if they are fully obliged and happy with the idea of hosting a World Cup, I'm not sure the answer will be yes, because they didn't understand the level of exposure picking and details picking by, by the West and Western journalists. Uh, but the truth is that uh, this World Cup operation brought a, a, a big change to Qatar in many ways. And it did put the spotlight on problematic phenomena that are taking place in the country. But it's also helped uh, to, change it, uh, to change it even for a little bit. You know, I don't think that uh, judging the country by the, the way it was until a certain point without giving it a, a chance to change, I don't think it's a smart move. But I think that, uh, again, when we discuss football and uh, an event such as the World Cup coming to the Middle East for the first time, we need to understand this is not France, this is not the UK, it's not Germany. Um, in this region, we are basically living a different reality. A reality where a life of someone are sometimes worth much less than lives of someone else in a, in a different part of the world. But I do think that the World Cup would have a, a good impact, at least within the region. I think it would be a great point to meet. Uh, you know, our region is one of the most diverse, uh, complicated and sophisticated places. It has great benefits as culture and music and food and and people, the great, the great for me, the, the greatest, the nicest people in the world. But we also have politics and uh, divisions that keeps up, keeps us apart we, between ourselves and among ourselves and among other nations in the region. So I think a World Cup in the Middle East is a chance to show the uniqueness and the, the specialty and the and the identity of each one of uh, of uh, the nations that. Um, are part of this region, even if they are not participating, because fans will travel, and the Arab culture and the Arab hospitality that I hope Qatar will will be able to provide will show it. I think that you know now that we see uh, part of the impact of a World Cup, World Cup in Russia in 2018 that helped uh, Vladimir Putin shaped his image uh, in the eyes of the West, maybe adding a legitimacy to what he's doing right now in Ukraine. So we already know how much political power has a, as a, a hosting of a World Cup has. Obviously, living in a democratic country with you know, human rights uh, protected by law is a different life experience from, uh, from being in a migrant worker in a, in an emirate in the Middle East, this is this is a ground and sad fact. It is it is what it is. Um, but when we look east, we need to understand that for a lot of the people that are coming to work in Qatar, there is a big a big uh, a big system behind it in their home countries. Uh, there there is a lot of pressure 
coming uh, sometimes from their families, expectation from them to provide their families with uh, amounts of money for a, to, to earn a certain uh, uh, lifestyle, to earn a certain level of, uh, of life quality, you know. Um, and basically those migrant workers uh, and in the, in the past years, mainly thanks to the kafala system, uh, were trapped because even if they wanted to come back, they had pressure. And I spoke when I was, uh, for example, in the UAE, I spoke with a, a one, uh, even a taxi driver from Uganda that was under this system. And he told me, look, I cannot go back, you know. Um, he told me that even his family wants him to stay and work because back in Uganda, uh, with the money he earns and sent to his family, his son already opened a, a small chain of grocery shops. And if the money from the UAE won't arrive, so they won't have uh, enough to handle and maneuver the business, and no, 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 no. So basically, that got both from the kafala system and the kafala si- and, and their family. And now, to explain the kafala system, um, you need to understand it's basically more of a of a culture accepted, culturally accepted the phenomena than something that is uh, uh, protected by law. Okay. Uh, kafala system is saying that basically uh, the worker, uh, the, sorry, the the boss is some kind of a sponsor. Uh, opening a, a side note, owner of of the worker as long as the worker is working in the country, which means that basically the boss is uh, uh, must provide the worker with uh, clothes, with food, with uh, a shelter. Um, but the catch with it is that the migrant worker need to hand in the passport to his boss. So basically, he cannot leave the country until his boss giving back the, the passport, which brings to a lot of situation of, um, you know, um, bad manipulation of this uh, this culture, uh, cultural habit. And, uh, you know, Qatar, due to the great criticism coming from the West and coming from the investigative uh, journalists and and etc., um, has decided to cancel the kafala system. Whether it's fully canceled by now, I don't think so, because it's it's not realistic to cancel something that took, sp- took place for more than for hundreds and hundreds of years before even Qatar was a state. Okay? It, it's, it's something that takes time, but the fact that this thing already rose to the level of uh, real politics within Qatar, within the Gulf, within the Middle East, it's a start of a change. If if we look uh, ten years from now, I believe we will see an improvement in this field. I hope we will see an improvement in this field. But um, one cannot neglect that the sad reality of of being a migrant mo- worker in the Middle East, uh, let alone in Qatar itself, building this World Cup, uh, is a misfortunate situation to be in. And they, uh, you know, this it is what this is again. But I hope that basically all the criticism and all the spotlight and the light that was shed on this phenomenon will help to change it in the in the coming years for for a better life for better for for more migrant workers in the future coming up on the next episode i think the only real difference that that football can make is by the level of accountability it can show itself so yeah africa super league will be uh, just yet another uh, project to isolate football from africans chinese football is not a part of social fabric in china it's 
it doesn't make money. So how does it survive? They basically prop it up. And they do that because they get political favors from it. <laughs>